Hope, uh, hope is an amazing thing. Uh, I, we've all gotten to experience hope in some way. I don't know if you can even remember something in your past that you kind of hoped for. I can think back to a number of Christmases where I just had hope, so much hope that I was gonna get a particular gift and could barely even sleep the night before. I don't know if you guys remember that kind of moment, hoping for something like that. I remember hoping for G.I. Joe stuff, and I'm really dating myself now. Why did I just say that out loud? But uh, I actually remember hoping to see Michael Jordan play one time. We were out in the middle of West Texas. You can't get anywhere, uh, uh, basically. And so uh, the chance of actually getting to see Michael Jordan play was pretty nil. And so uh, he retired. And so it was kind of like, I guess, I guess that's over. And then like it, a year and a half later, he came back. And so hope was rekindled. Uh, and then I still didn't get to see him play. And then he retired. And but then he came back again. By then, I was old enough to the glory of God to have my own dollars. And so I was like, so me and a buddy, we drove down. He was playing for the Wizards at the time. I don't know if you remember. I know most of us try to put that out of our heart and mind, okay? But he was playing with the Wizards. And they were playing the San Antonio Spurs. So me and a buddy bought tickets. We went down to San Antonio. And we watched him play. And I got to see him. I mean, he, he was 87, I think, at the time. But it was, it was amazing. No, I think he was actually my age, and he was like, he still scored 18 points that night, and so if I tried to do that, I'd score some bubble gum, I think, I don't know, but, but I'm just, I, I, I remember like hope fulfilled, I got to see Michael Jordan play in the flesh, that's pretty awesome, pretty fun. Those are all kind of fun things, but hey, let, let's be honest, there is a hope that's way, way deeper than those fun and sweet things that we can hope for. There's a biblical hope that isn't rooted in some cute human imagination. It's actually rooted in the fact that God is simply one who will not fail. There is a kind of hope that you and I can carry that goes far beyond like thinking that something might work out someday. It's actually rooted in a person who will come through for you and me. It's actually hope is one of the primary graces of our lives. We, in fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are meant to be someone who carries and walks in hope in their lives. It's one of the, those primary ways that God expresses and gives and shows himself to us, right? Because there's so many ways that we experience the grace of God in our lives. We have multiple, even what we're doing here right now when we come together and we lift our voices and we lift our hands and we hear each other singing, that's a grace. And, and, and when amazing preachers talk to us on Sunday mornings, right, that's a grace. And uh, but there's so many different graces, and you can think even all throughout the scriptures and all the beautiful giftedness, and we've got gifts of prophecy and tongues and teaching and administration and hospitality and words of knowledge and evangelism and so on and so on and so on. You have all these means, expressions of the grace of God in our lives. But even as Paul is describing some of those incredible graces, he says, but there's three that are actually central to our lives. And he says, love and faith and hope. 
These three are critical. You can, in fact, actually what it says, you can have all the other graces around you. You can have all these other gifts. You can have all these other beautiful, amazing things happening. But if you don't have these pieces, you're not experiencing the fullness of life. There's fullness in hope and faith and love. It's a, meant to be a part of who we are actually carrying that internally. It's a powerful and beautiful thing. And so we're meant to be a people who live with biblical hope, seeing the goodness of God, to see and experience the favor and the covering of the Almighty, to see his promises to us fulfilled, guaranteed. And so what are the ironclad promises of God over you? What are you hoping to see? We get to start to wrestle with that. Listen, the truth is this. None of us know how God is gonna fulfill all the promises, right? We have really great ideas for how God should fulfill all his promises to us, right? Like God, if you, just, like if you would just do this, this would be amazing and everything would be better, right? And so we kind of, it's, it's easy to put our hope in our thought of what God ought to do. But what the Father is actually inviting every one of us into is into a hope that isn't connected to circumstances, but it's a hope that's placed in a person that we can trust no matter where we find ourselves in the up and down of life. That's what real hope is. I love the way the psalmist put it in Psalm 42, he says, he's actually talking. I love it. He's talking to himself. Not that, I don't know if you've ever done that. He goes, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I love the question he asked there because he's not shaming himself, saying, well, what's wrong with you? What he's actually allowing himself to do is to feel, oh, why? What's going on internally? Explore, see. There's turmoil. There is hardship going on. And when that happens, hope in God. Hope, turn my heart to my God and my salvation Allow my thoughts to move past what's going on in the turmoil and to move into the one who is not budged, not moved, doesn't cower in the face of circumstance. He leads us. And so we get to come to this place in this story where we get to see hope come alive. Now, as I did just a moment ago, right? We know that Naomi lost her husband, lost her sons. We don't even know how those happen. She is distraught. She brings, as we talked about, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the other messages in this series, I encourage you to go back and hear, but she is distraught. She brings her full sadness to the Lord. She doesn't hold back in the hurt that she's experiencing. She doesn't hide her disappointment with God. She has a real relationship with this God not afraid of him. She doesn't, she do, she doesn't uh, walk away, but she also does not pretend like he isn't the sovereign of the universe, even over the losing of her 
husband and sons. And Naomi sees the hand of God in her sadness. When you lose, when you are sad, when you've experienced loss, when something has not come to fruition, when you've prayed and God has felt like he is silent, when you're frustrated about how slow things are moving or when you are feeling like this journey feels like it is way too long. Ever been there before? She's bringing all of it. When those things happen, you have two choices. We all have two choices. We can stand firm, believing that God is working for our good, working for your good, and we live in a real relationship with him. Or we can, when those circumstances aren't working, we can melt into anxiety too depression and what we find ourselves doing when those things come as we go further into toxic sadness and toxic anger or what we ultimately try to do, I'd say is uh, red-blooded Americans is we like to try to take control of the circumstances because you don't really believe that God is working for you or covering you. And that's what we're all confronted with when we go through the kinds of circumstances and situations certainly that Naomi had found herself in. And so there are these moments. Listen, there's moments and seasons for every one of us to be sad and to mourn. But what we do with that sadness will either lead to those broken places or, it'll, or we can just bring those things to God in a very real, raw ways and let in that place, the winds of hope in God begin to pull and lift us up. Now, that sounds beautiful, but that's a really hard place to live. And it comes down to trust. And that's actually one of the lessons we get to learn from this incredible chapter is that hope helps us dream. Hope helps us dream Right? Hope helps us think of ways that we can begin to live in goodness and do goodness. It helps us to pursue our ventures with fullness and with virtue and with integrity, right? That's what hope is actually meant to do. It's actually meant to begin to stir us to take steps and to begin to believe for something greater. Yes, you might find yourself in a place like Naomi, but hope is what says there is something beautiful coming because I serve a beautiful God and he is my caretaker. It's actually hopelessness and we don't have hope that often makes people feel like they have to lie or to steal or to be satisfied by lesser and sometimes even sinful pleasures. It's hopelessness that pushes us that direction. But real hope begins to pull our hearts up into something greater. It actually allows us to take another step for another day. It allows us to begin to step forward. It's the belief that I know the goodness of my God is before me. It's what made King David say, ironically, because we're, the reason we're even doing this story, we'll get to next week at the end of chapter four, the whole thing is about a genealogy. 
because Ruth and Boaz, spoiler alert, do get married. They come and they have a son named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse. Jesse has a son named David. And David has a son many generations later named Jesus. Hope is it's critical in this moment. Naomi's gone through some really hard things. King David, her great, 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 whatever, grandson says this way in Psalm 27. He says, I would have lost heart. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Boom, there it is. Now, come on. That's all of us. Every one of us has had moments and temptations to just believe the lie that there isn't goodness, the temptation to lose heart. And he's being real raw and authentic and saying, I would have lost heart also if I didn't truly believe that I would see and experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. Hope is that passion that we have to experience life and life to the full. Right? We talked about this even a couple of weeks ago. What kind of life did Jesus come to bring us? Life and life to the full. Not meaning life and everything's butterflies and rainbows. Church, life and life to the full. No matter what, experiencing faith and love and hope. And so hope is the voice that actually calls us to look and to believe and to trust. And because of that, hope can't exist without risk. Hope can't exist without taking a step. It means real hope is manifested in real ways in our lives. Now listen, sometimes it's a risk of the heart to believe. Sometimes it's a risk to take a step or take an action as we're going to see these ladies do. Sometimes it's a risk to say some words or sometimes it means choosing to believe a thing that you cannot see over the thing that you can see. But it takes risk. Real hope takes risk. And all my thrill seekers are in here going, yeah. And all of you that are like, I'm responsible, you're like, okay, I don't. Um, all right, God, right? It doesn't matter where your personality's at. At some point in time, God loves you so much, he's gonna ask you to have to risk. He loves you way too much to let you sit idly by. So you're being invited into hope. And maybe you even feel a little bit dead, like inside today. I just hear this. You've got a good father who's just nudging you and saying, could you hope in me for more than anything else? What might I have for you that you could trust me for and walk with me and it might be days and it might be weeks and it might be months and it might be years. But will you hope in me? Will you hope in me?
That's the question. Okay, how do we live out of a place of hope in our lives? I think chapter two gets to show us, or chapter three just gets to show us a a little bit of that. In fact, I just have a couple of thoughts too. In fact, it's not even a three-point sermon. So it's just like, that was for the dads this morning. I'm just giving you two, all right? You got enough on your plate. Just giving you two. We saw how, by the way, at the end of chapter two, when Ruth comes back from having been cared for and taken care of by Boaz, and she's like, who? She comes back with a month's worth of food for the two of them. She's like, oh my gosh, who did this for you? And she says, well, this man named Boaz. And she goes, oh my gosh. She sees the favor that Ruth has had with Boaz. And she, sa- she actually says at the end of chapter two, she says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now listen to me. That is a far cry from chapter one. You remember where Naomi was in chapter one? Don't call me Naomi because I'm bitter and hurt and the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. All right, come on. Come on. That's Naomi chapter one, just being real and raw. But by the end of chapter two, she's starting to see, oh, the Lord is good. I remember. And so you want to know how to just begin to step into real hope? Because when we see God's kindness and favor, we just ask this question, Lord, what's the right next step? Just that's it. Because you're asking me to risk and you're asking me to trust. So what's the right next step? What's the right, and right being the key, not what's the next step, what's the right next step? So Naomi's going like, listen, by the way, we have no idea how much time has transpired between chapter two and chapter three. No idea. All we know is that at some point in time, Naomi has seen that God has put favor on Ruth and she's experiencing that favor through Boaz. And so what does she do? She hopes, she risks, she steps out, she believes, she trusts. And she says, listen, daughter, in verse one, right there in chapter three, daughter, should I not seek rest for you? Meaning like, hey, these ladies are striving. They're having to go out and try to find barley or whatever uh, on their own. They don't own any fields. They don't have anything for themselves. So should I find rest for you that it may be well with you? And she says, listen, this is, I'm just my paraphrase. I think Boaz likes you. I think he's crushing on you. But she also knows that he's in her clan, same clan. And there's this beautiful thing called a redeemer, a goel. That's what the Hebrew word is. It's called a redeemer, kinsman redeemer. You know what that is? It's actually Levitical law or the Mosaic law. And what we get to see is is what God, and this is amazing because God's incredible. He sets up the law and he says this, hey, if there's someone in your clan and they lose property, or they lose a loved one, then I want, I'm calling you to come around that family, your family, you come around and you love each other, and you redeem what was lost. Now, God's been a redeemer from the, let me tell you, redemption has been on God's heart from day one. From the moment Adam and Eve went sideways, God said, I'm going to bring you to redemption. And he was putting it in the thread of the law. And so Naomi knows that 
Boaz would be a Goel, a redeemer in the clan and one who would legally, when a woman lost her husband, the brother or the kinsman would come along and bring her into his family so that she would not lose her name and she would be provided for and cared for. She'd be redeemed. Her life would not be lost. So this is the heart of the king of the universe. And this is what's happening. And so Naomi says like, here's just the right next step. Now it's gutsy and it's risky. All right, gutsy and risky. But it's time for you to let this man know that you care for him. It's time for you to be able to say, you want him to be your husband, to be your redeemer. So she says, listen, after he's ate, after he ate, after he drank, he's had his fill, he goes to sleep. You go in and uncover his feet and ask him to spread the corner of his garment over you, which is to say, this is to say, this is a position of intimacy. So I want you to take this risky step that I believe is to come and effectively say, Boaz, I want to be with you. Now, some have indicated this was sexual in nature, but it's actually interesting that the phrase, the corner of his garment, is this Hebrew saying, it's the same, this same word is the word as wing. All right, corner of a garment, same Hebrew word as wing. Cover me with your wings. She actually says this, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But there's actually one other place in all of Scripture where you get to see this same uh, covered uh, by his garment in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8. It's God speaking to his people, and here's what he says. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness, and I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant. That's the father of the universe over his people, Israel. He says, I'm gonna cover you and I'm gonna bring you into covenant. Mine with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. You became mine. The picture here is taking a risk and saying, hey, would you cover me under your wing? Now, I don't know if you remember this, but when we got to cover in chapter two, when Ruth asks Boaz the question, why have I found so much favor with you? Do you remember what he says? He says, you know why you found favor with me? Because you were one who sought refuge under the wing of the Almighty. And here, she's doing the exact same thing. She's asking to come up under the wing of the protection of the Almighty through the grace of Boaz. It's a powerful picture of a longing for redemption in covenant. This is the picture, by the way, that every one of us get to walk in in Christ, to come up under the wing and the protection of the covering of the king of the universe. And so how does Boaz respond. Well, this is, by the way, incredible character. Just her saying, listen, it would be my honor to come up into covenant with you. And how does Boaz respond? It says, listen, 100% will I do this for you 
And he's amazing. <laughs> the humility of this guy, this is a wealthy landowner. She's not even a maid servant. She's beneath that. And you know what he says? It's amazing. He says, that's incredible that you didn't go after the young dudes. I'll take this honor. But you know what he does? He actually stops short. And he says, listen, there's a right way to go about doing this. And there is a redeemer in our clan that is nearer than I am. And so he has the right to be able to stand in as the redeemer. And if he'll do it, then we'll let him. But if he will not, I will stand in this place. Now, I love, love, love this. Because you want to walk in the fullness of hope, you and I got to just begin to start believing and trusting God, risking and giving our heart to him and taking the right, the right righteous next step but also we do not push ahead of God's plan and his timing while we wait with hope. So we take the right next step, but we don't do it willy-nilly. We don't run ahead of God and his plan and his timing. And that's where exactly where Boaz is. This is incredible. He cares for her, by the way, covers her, allows her to go back and we'll, we'll talk about that, but you're reading this story and you're just thinking like, hey, Boaz and Ruth, you guys belong together. Y'all feel that for me? Like we're reading the story here and it's like, man, you guys belong. Like this, if this is like on Hallmark Channel, you're like, come on, can we just get to the end here? Come on, we know these people are gonna be together, all right? But Boaz is not rushing ahead. He clearly has shown he loves and cares for this woman. He's protected her. He's shown favor to her. And even now, by the way, he's sending her home uh, before, while it's still dark so nobody can tell. And he gives her barley so it looks as if she's been taken care of because he doesn't want her name sullied. He doesn't want his name sullied. He allows her to stay there for the evening under his protection and then to go back home. And then he sends that and also to take care of his uh, future mother-in-law. And, and so he's taking care and walking with her and he's honoring her. He did not take advantage of her. By the way, this is an incredibly compromised move here. This is a, this is a gutsy move. And I, by the way, I love it. So Naomi says, hey, go and uncover his feet and ask him to cover you with his wing and then just see what he'll do. You know what Naomi does? The right next step. Because she goes and does that thing and he wakes up. He's a little bit startled as I think any man would be uh, in that moment wakes up startled, and you know what she does? She says, I want you to cover me. She takes the right next. She doesn't wait to see what he'd, he'll do. He's, she takes this right next step and say, hey, I'm not looking for something illicit here. I'm asking you to be the redeemer and cover me. She does the right next step. So he honors her. She honors him. They're taking care of each other. You know who Boaz reminds me of? the answer to every Sunday school question you've ever had in your life. He reminds us of Jesus. Boaz is just a shadow of the Son of God. It's a picture of what Jesus is. He's not gonna jump ahead. He's gonna do it the right way, the right time. What happens in the scripture when Jesus is finally being ushered into his public ministry? He's lived 30 years, hadn't done anything, just been a carpenter. And Jesus, the Father, actually the Holy Spirit, takes him out to the wilderness. And there the devil, Satan himself, meets with him, has three temptations. You remember one of them? 
he actually pulls Jesus up and sees all the nations. And he says, I'll leave. You can have this whole thing. You can have the nations. You can have their worship. You can have their affection. You can have it all. I'll cede it all to you. It's been given to me. I'll give it all away to you. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. And it's yours. And what does Jesus say in hope? No, not on your life. I'll go to the grave to have my inheritance. He won't push ahead of the plan of God. It was offered to him on a plate. Didn't have to go through the pain and anguish of the cross. And he says, I'll never do that. I'm going to do this the right way in the right time. I'm gonna watch God's plan in hope. Even if, church, it takes a little longer than you would prefer. But we're gonna go there. Some of you need fresh hope. Fresh hope for your marriage. Fresh hope for your children. Fresh hope in your job. Fresh hope for friends. Fresh hope for the days ahead. You're looking at our country and you're going, it doesn't feel very hopeful. And there's a refreshing that God wants to do. And it's not about timing. It's about who you put your hope in today. And that's what we get. Do you believe that God has a perfect plan for you? Do you, no, no, not like cute platitude on a coffee mug. I'm asking you, do you believe God has an unbelievable plan for you? One that you can set your hope in no matter what. Now, that's a kind of belief that you and I were meant to carry and to have that is unfazed by the moments of life. And so we don't force our own way. We just show up. We don't cower in defeat. We take the right next step and we hold on to what God has. Because as soon as you and I take the right next step, guess what happens next? The next step is in front of us, and we wait. You know what it says, by the way, if you go back to Psalm 27? We read 13, I would have lost heart. But then what he says in verse 14, wait on the Lord. Ugh. Wait on the Lord. Be of what? Good courage. Takes guts to have hope. Takes guts to have hope. Now I feel like I'm looking at a room of gutsy people who are willing to have hope in God. And he shall strengthen your heart. Amen. We need it when we're waiting desperately. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So how do you know if it's time to take a step in hope or it's time to wait in hope? Well, isn't that the point? If you're going like, well, am, pastor, am I supposed to take a step in hope? Is there something, or am I supposed to wait in hope? That's the whole point, is that the God of the universe wants to be in a real relationship with you where you get to come and ask him, is this the time for the right next step or are you asking me to wait? But I must sit here and hope with you. And that's where we land. Will you 
have the courage to ask the Lord the question, Lord, are you asking me to trust and wait or are you asking me to take the right next step? But Lord, I'm willing to risk hope in you. And let's do that together. You guys close your Bibles and y'all stand with me. We're gonna close out. I just have a couple of minutes, so if you just give me this moment, actually just give it to the Lord. Would you just be real with the Lord and explore in your heart a place where you don't feel super hopeful? And just be honest with the Lord about it. Just like Naomi was. Lord, we're just going to offer as an act of worship any place of hopelessness. Any place where we feel tired and weary. And we're just gonna acknowledge the circumstance and see it for what it is, broken. I want you to fully see it and realize it and recognize it. And dignify the Lord by just telling him what it is. Bring honor to him by being real with him. And now, would you take your eyes off that thing and now put your eyes on the exalted son of God. And now we tell you, Jesus, we put our hope in you. We hope in you. It would be easy for us to lose heart if we didn't believe we would see your goodness in the land of the living. So we wait, we trust, we hope, we risk, we believe, we open our hearts to you, Lord. Tell him, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving you my gaze, I'm giving you my eyes, I'm giving you my heart, I'm giving you my trust. Let hope arise again. We thank you, Lord, that you have cared for us this way, that we were meant to walk with hope. I pray that it would run alive in us as we leave this place on Father's Day. We'd be well celebrated and we get to celebrate those around us, but we'd also be able to just believe you, Father, for your goodness in the days ahead. We don't know what it will look like, but we know that you're trustworthy. So we take a step today to trust you, to believe you. We risk letting something come alive in our heart 
will see your goodness. And we thank you. We'll have a few people here for prayer in just a moment. As soon as I dismiss, I'm going to pray a blessing over us as we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, who was the Messiah and is the Messiah. It's the king of the universe. We pray, amen. Amen. Blessings, guys. Love y'all. We'll see you next week.